It's something for nothing, the Rush Fancast. Jerry and Steve with you. Jerry, how are you today? I'm great. How are you, Steve? I'm great. Episode 41 of the Rush Fancast. It is amazing. We've cracked 40. That's right. I can't believe we've lasted this long. Usually I give up on projects way before something like this would happen. So when are you planning on giving up on this one? Uh, soon. Seriously? No. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to get people crazy, Jerry. You don't want to do that. <laughs> you can find us on Twitter at Rush Fancast, Instagram, the Rushcast, email Jerry, the Rushcast at gmail.com. He loves getting your emails. Listen to us on your favorite podcast app. In the base intro today, Jerry, guess who did it? Uh, Lex. It was Lex. Good guess. Yeah, thanks. Good guess. You know, we haven't done a Twitter poll in a while, Jerry. Oh, okay. So I figured let's do a Twitter poll. Do you have a couple lined up? I have one. I have one lined up. Just one. Okay. Just one. And it's timely because we're talking about the albums of the late 70s. So I asked the Twitterverse a difficult question a couple of weekends ago. What's your favorite among these four classic Rush albums? Ready? Oh, boy. A Farewell to Kings, Hemispheres, Permanent Waves, or Moving Pictures? Oh, man. That's a tough one, right? It's a real Sophie's Choice. <laughs> it really is. And a lot of people said that. Not Sophie's Choice, but... Oh, really? They said it was a difficult choice. You're the first one who yeah. came up with that clever way to do it. <laughs> Let's see. Um, man, I'm going to have to go with Moving Pictures. It was Moving Pictures by there quite a go. bit. By quite really? a bit. And, and it's, it makes sense. Moving Pictures, 48%. Permanent Waves came in second, 23%. Hemispheres, hard to believe, only 19%, but wow. tough competition. Yeah, really. And a farewell to Kings, only 10%. Oh, what are you going to do? But uh, it, it, was, it was a popular poll, though. 651 votes. That's a record for us in 24 hours. Wow, that's great. That's really good. And another great thing, Jared. Yes. 41 episodes in. I am just floored by the emails that you're forwarding me from our fans and the people who are listening. We can't respond to all of them. No. But I just want to thank everyone from the bottom of my heart. Yes. For listening to this podcast and saying all the nice things that you're saying in these emails. We can't respond to everyone. We can't read them all, but we really appreciate it. I don't want to speak yes. for you, Jer. No, no. I, that's what I was going to say. Exactly <laughs> what I was going to say. It took the words right out of my mouth. So anyway, the, uh, the idea we had was to read a few emails every episode. We skipped it last episode because uh, we had a pretty long interview with Ray. But today we'll read a couple to make up for that. So what you got for me, Jer? Oh, so I have one concerning um, the book that we're giving away. Oh, yes. Yeah, we talked about that last week. We're going to give it away today. Yes, we're going to give it away today. And uh, it was sent to me by Andy Courtright. I think you said that last time. Yeah, Andy's been listening to the podcast since the beginning. Right, like the first week, I think. Oh, yeah, he was on board right at the beginning. Yeah. So he sent, he contacted me a while ago and said, I have an extra copy of Getty's book. I could send it to you so you can, you know, give it away to somebody. And I said, okay, sounds like a great idea. And he wanted me to, to uh, share the story of how he got an extra book. So this is his story from his email. Oh, nice. Ready for this one? It says, I bought the book on day one of its release. Same as what I have done for every Rush record since Hemispheres. As an aspiring bassist, I was looking forward to get, getting my hands on the book. According to Getty's Instagram account, he held his first in-store appearance for the book a couple of months after its release. Another was held a few days later. I started to look at his account regularly to see if and when he may come to Northern California. 
He soon announced a Marin County visit in March of 2019. When I arrived at the bookstore that rainy day in March, I saw the line winding through virtually every aisle of the store. I was maybe number 200 of 600 in line. During the wait, I was able to see the signing area and that people were given about 30 seconds of interaction with Getty. I started to think about what to say. It wasn't long before I decided to tell him about how I got into Rush, that my brother Spencer introduced me to their music over the course of a week before seeing them close out the a Farewell to Kings tour in Wisconsin. When it was my turn in line, I was given strict instructions, almost like getting soup from the soup Nazi. Love the Seinfeld reference. Yeah. And I became quite nervous. Since I had already had a copy of the book, I asked that it be signed to Spencer. When I got to Ged, I rushed to the story and he signed it. When I got to the end of the story, he lowered his head, famously peered over his granny glasses and said, you have a good brother. Wow. That's awesome. I mailed the book to my brother and he was quite surprised and elated. A few months later, Ged appeared in Chicago for another book signing and Spencer told him the same story from his perspective and asked for the book to be signed to me. That is awesome. Ged said to him, ah, you've come full circle. Wow. Yeah. That is really cool. That's the story of how we got the book. Nice. And it was very nice of him to, to think of us, you know, to give it away to somebody. Yeah, that's great. Thank you, Andy. We really appreciate it. Really do. Yeah, we do. So at the end of the episode, we're going to announce the winner. Yes, we are. I can't wait. It's going to be great. So do you have another email for us, Jer? Oh, yeah, I do, don't I? So this email is from another listener, Tom. He's written in a lot. And he's uh, responding to our first episode of Permanent Waves. And he's talking about free will. Oh, nice. He says, what a song and what an analysis. I loved your take on Power Windows Part 1. I think this was your most detailed, creative, and determined attack yet. What do you oh, think of that, Steve? Nice. Well, we are doing more research. Yeah. Especially since we did Power Windows, which was the first episode. Right. Which we did no research. <laughs> I was just going to say, we're doing more research considering that we never did any research. Uh, he says, I share your enthusiasm for the record and hearing your love for it just makes me want to listen to those songs in their various incarnations again and again. Speaking of free will, it struck me as you were talking that Neil's libertarianism is entangled with his religious views. That's evident in this song, the kindness that can kill and the whole stanza about all preordained prisoner in chains. They are libertarian residue of his earlier years. Those seem distinct from his elegant criticisms of religion or theism in this song. The criticism of religion and the value of the individual will remain for Neil up through clockwork angels, but the libertarianism moderates and fades, I think. Does that make sense? And yes, I think it does make sense. I think it does. Thank you so much, Tom. Yeah. Very cool. And like I said, we appreciate all the emails we get from everyone. Wish we could read them all. We do read them all. We just aren't going to read them all to you. Right, out loud. <laughs> exactly. I read them to my children at night as a, as a little bedtime story. That's actually a great idea. Your kids are a little old for that, though. Yeah, I still read to them occasionally. You don't read them rush emails, though. No, I don't. I just got a great, <laughs> a great hardcover printing of this guy, George Saunders' short story called Fox 8, which is a great story to read out loud to people. And it's a fantastic story. I, I, I think everyone should go out and buy it. Okay. Personally, I'll, it's I'll great. do it. I'll yeah, do it. it's great. So today, Jer, on Something for Nothing, yes. we've got a very special interview. We were talking about research that we do for the podcast. And if you're doing research on Rush, a great place to look is the Rush is a Band blog. That's right. So we figured we'd speak to the guy who runs the Rush is a Band blog. That's where you would go, yeah. That's where you would go. Rushisaband.com 
at Russia's Abandon on Twitter. He's a web developer from Cleveland, Ohio, Ed Stenger. Ed, welcome to the Rush Fancast. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Yeah, thanks for being here. So, Ed, we, we start off by asking all of our guests their Rush origin story. When did you first hear of the band, and how did you become a fan? Well, I had um, two older brothers, one in particular who's about eight years older than me. He was the, the one who discovered Rush. And, yeah, he was one of the, the early Rush fans because we're from Cleveland, so we were one of the, the first batch of U.S. fans to even hear them on the radio. So he got into 2112 in 76, and at that time I was only six years old. So I didn't really get it, but I just as growing up as a little kid, Rush was always in the background. Um, so I was familiar with them, but I didn't really like them that much. It's a little kid. I just, you know, when I was a little, I'd listen to Top 40 stuff. But as I got older and got more into rock music, I literally, when I was 12, my my older brother was out somewhere. I can't remember if he's working or whatever. But I actually dug through his closet and I found an old cassette tape of 2112. And it was all beat up and I had to like twist the, uh, the cassette tape to get the tape back in and it was all kind of bent and out of shape. And I put it in my little mono cassette player and played it and I was blown away. And um, at that time, you know, I was kind of into science fiction and fantasy stuff. So I was really taken by the, the whole 20 minute side long song and the science fiction themes and everything. And uh, that's really what hooked me at that, at that point. And then at that point, I just went back through all my brother's albums and just listened to those. So that 70s era rush is really what is really my bread and butter as far as rush goes. But I like all of all of their stuff, but that's really the, at the core of my fandom is that the 70s stuff. So Ed, how long have you been doing the Rush as a Band blog? I've been doing it officially for 15 years. I actually had a, a personal blog of my own in 2002 that I started, and I posted about Rush a lot. So at that time, blogging was kind of big. This was pre-social media stuff. So I wanted to see a blog about Rush. And for a couple of years there, you know, I would look for them every now and then. And I never found a Rush blog. And so in 2005, I decided to kind of branch off from my personal site, take all my Rush posts, and then start a, the Rush blog my, myself. It's just the kind of site that I wanted to see. That's kind of how it was born. And then I just kept plugging away. I post something every day, just some kind of weird Rush news tidbit that I come across. And uh, I kind of sh- I would share it on message boards here and there. And eventually the word got out and it took about a year and it really got going after that. Did you do anything to get the word out or did, was it just kind of a word of mouth thing that got the blog started? It was really word of mouth. I would post some of my stories to the various message boards at the time. You know, if I thought something was, was interesting enough that people would on the boards would like it, I would do that. And um, from that, the word got out kind of organically. From there, other people would tell other people about the site, and it kind of spread out from there. And it took about a year until I had a I had a pretty good following after a year, and that's about when just before Snakes and Arrows came out, and things were ramping up because everyone was talking about the recording of Snakes and Arrows and the tour. And um, for the tour, I started to get like anonymous emails from people who who knew when the tour dates were going to be. Just people like concert 
promoters. I don't know who they were, but it was, it was, it was, I felt like a secret agent or something, but <laughs> I got all this information. I compiled it and I had by the, a few weeks before the tour, I had the entire tour itinerary and I posted that. And, um, one of these, the bigger, uh, music sites, blabbermouth.net kind of picked it up and, you know, they, credited me and everything and, and linked to me. And, and that after that point, things just kind of blew up. Now, how do you go about choosing, or at least back then, how did you go about choosing what you were going to include? Was it only brand new news or was it just anything that, you know, you wanted to put on and has it changed over the years? Oh yeah, it has. It, at that time, just about anything I get my hands on, um, any kind of weird rush reference in a, in a movie or TV or book or an interview someone mentioned brush i would i would post about it um eventually i got to the point where i was getting so much these little tidbits is that i instead of posting them separately i would do a weekly post on friday where i just called i think i called it updates and other random rush stuff for no because i had no idea what i should call the post and it's just kind of stuck so every friday i still do this i post on updates and other random rush stuff post that has a lot of like little tidbits in it. And then just kind of a review of the week's news. Do you have any help at all with the blog? I have help from fans. There's a couple in particular that have really helped me out um, a lot over the years. There's one guy from Vancouver goes by the rush fan forever moniker. And he's been definitely my biggest contributor and just a lot of other fans. It just, it would, email me stuff, especially in the beginning, I would get most of my stuff from email, just from all kinds of fans across the nation. And uh, later years, it'd be, it was from social media a lot. So I don't get as much email anymore, but I interact with people on social media and, and get it that way. And uh, just search the news sites myself. And so how would you say the emergence of social media has changed the way you work? Ed? Well, it's a big thing. It's like, most people get their news from social media these days, I, I would think. So people don't come directly to my site as much as they used to in the past. They'll see a post and I'll you know post on Facebook and Twitter typically. And a lot of times they'll just kind of read the headline and the blurb and leave it at that. And uh, if they're really interested in it, they'll click through and they'll, and they'll read the whole article. But, but it has changed things a lot in, in that sense. And a lot of people, there are a lot of rush fan groups on Facebook and a lot of podcast type things like you guys do with Twitter feeds. Um, I know you guys are really active on Twitter and things like that. So, and I get a lot of my news from Twitter as well and from Facebook. So it's definitely changed the landscape. Has that changed the way that you approach what you put in and how much of a story you put in? In what way? If someone's just like coming for a headline, is the headline going to be packed with information as opposed to a little teaser and then, you know, getting into it. Yeah. I try to put a good teaser blurb together to get them more interested in clicking through and reading the whole article. But yeah, and that's something I hadn't done in the past that much. I would just kind of share the article and leave it at that. And I post a lot of, a lot more things to social media than I used to. A lot of stuff I'll, I'll share to social media, but won't necessarily post about on the blog all the time. Videos and the kind of thing that if I were to mention on my blog, I would for instance, tributes. People are always doing tributes to Rush, like playing tributes. Uh, musicians are doing stuff like that. And I, I get a lot of requests to post this stuff to my blog. And 
there's just too many of them to do that. So I'll often just share some of those on social media instead. Do you think there's just as much big rush news now, now that the band is retired as there was when the band was active? Oh no, not at all. Not at all. But there, there still is, there's still rush news because they still put out reissues like this permanent ways box set. They do their little side projects. Um, Alex Lifeson's always um, making guest appearances on people's albums or songs. Getty's always out and about doing stuff. He's had his book last year, um, his book signings and all that. So, yeah, I mean, they keep busy. So there's still stuff to post, but it's definitely nothing at all like when they were touring and recording albums. So it has toned down quite a bit in the last few years. So, Ed, you're, you're from Cleveland. Did you go to the Rush Day at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame by any chance? I did, yeah. How was that? It was a lot of fun. I actually know uh, one of the VPs at the Rock Hall, so I kind of had an in for that, and I got a media pass, so that was fun. I did not did not meet Getty or anything, actually, but I was just there just talking to all the fans and listened to uh, uh, Alex interview Getty, which was kind of a cool thing. Oh, that's cool. I think that's ever happened that Alex has interviewed Getty other than that, that time. Um, but it was really cool the, the whole day. Did they have a special collection on display? Rush yeah, collection? They did. They had, and they had all the, of Getty's bases that he was touring around with on his book signings. He has like, I think eight, eight of his bases. He has many more, but he, he brought eight of them. And those actually stayed up at the Rock Hall for a few months. Yeah, I really love the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I didn't think I would like it as much as I did when i went but it's a fabulous place it is it's really cool the museum the folks with the museum do a good job and always have i think it's always the 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 foundation that chooses the nominees that people usually have issue with and especially rush fans up until 2013 yeah now they're fine how long do you plan on continuing the blog ed forever yeah i'll just keep going until people stop coming to it (laughs) (laughs) there's always something like there's always stuff to post it. I knew things would quiet down after the band, you know, retired, but they're just stuff kept coming up. And, um, like I was saying, Getty and Alex, they keep busy and they do stuff. And, um, Rush's music isn't going away. It's still, it's still there. People still play it and people still love it. So yeah, I'll just keep doing it. It's still fun for me. I was going to say, how much time do you spend a day? I'm sure you don't spend as much as you used to, but yeah, not as much as I used to. Maybe, maybe an hour a day. You know how it is. It's like a, a couple minutes here, a couple minutes there, especially with social media. I'm always looking at my feed and I'll retweet or repost something from social media. Or if I see a story that I think is worth posting, I'll throw something together. So some days I'll spend two or three hours. Other days I won't spend any time at all. It just kind of depends. But yeah, in the old days, I would spend a lot, like maybe I would estimate about 20 hours a week, if not more, when they were touring and uh, recording albums, especially. Wow. That's a lot of time. Yeah. Especially when they were touring. Cause I really had to keep up on all the latest info for that. And I tried to help people navigate all the different pre-sales and stuff and make sure everybody knew like, when tickets were on sale and what they had to do to prepare for pre-sales and all that. So in addition to talking about the blog today, we thought it would be a great idea to include Ed in a little exercise we thought of our top three Rush opening songs. Now, Rush, of course, had amazing songs to open each album and to end each album, really. So we decided to do our our top three Rush openers today. 
And Jared, why don't we start with you? Why don't we give your number three and we'll take it from there. Oh, my, my number three. Yeah, your number three. Let's go from three to one. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, my number three is going to be subdivisions. Ah, subdivisions. Good choice. Yeah. I chose it because, you know, it's the beginning of really a new chapter. You know, it doesn't sound like any opening song on any album before. That's true. And I really love what it's about. You know, it also kind of signaled a, a change in Neil's songwriting, the kind of things he was writing about. Okay. Ed, what's your number three? Well, Jerry stole mine. But <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. It was a good choice. But I'll pick another one. I'll say, uh, and this is kind of a weird one, but dear to my heart, Bastille Day. Oh, nice. I wouldn't call that weird. And what, why Bastille Day? Well, I just love that opening riff. I think it's, it, it really kind of defines that album and what it's about. And it's one of my favorites. And I know it gets a lot of flack from a lot of fans, but I, lo- I love it. But that's my alternate number three. Okay. All right. So we'll, we'll say uh, Subdivisions <laughs> was three and Bastille Day is 3A. So my number three, this one's going to surprise you guys. Distant Early Warning off Grace Under Pressure. Hmm. That is a surprise. The reason I chose this is I'm an amateur bass player, Ed. <laughs> and this is the first song I learned to play on bass. So it has a special meaning to me. I also love the video with the kid on the rocket. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a great one. So that's why I chose Distant Early Warning. That's one that people don't remember as a great album opener. But for me, it's a good one. Jer? Yeah, I'm, I was just going to say there are a lot of great album openers. So it was, this was a hard exercise, Steve. Yeah, I know. It was tough to choose. I know. I wrote down all the al- album openers and I was like, oh boy, there's a lot of good, there's a lot of good ones. It started off with about 12 songs and then I had to whittle those down. My second one is Spirit of Radio. Nice choice. Again, it was a point of departure from their previous stuff, you know, the shorter songs. And it's so punchy and catchy and arresting that that opening riff is just amazing. Indeed. Ed, your number two? Did he steal it from you again? No, he did not. <laughs> he did not steal my choice this time. Okay, my number two. I had trouble with the one and two slots as to which one to put where, but I'm going to say Finding My Way. You are definitely a 70s Rush guy. I am. That song, I just love how it kind of it you know fades in at that Alex Lifeson riff and um, just slowly builds. Then Getty comes in and just with that screech. Now, yeah, oh yeah, and then he, <laughs> and then he goes into the opening opening verse, and that kind of tells you this. This is kind of the band's how they introduced themselves to the world with that right, song, right. and uh, right. it was really powerful. It really showcased Getty's voice. He's like, "Ooh, this guy. Who is this guy? Sounds like Robert Plant." Yeah, well, I guess that's what this exercise is about, right? Every album, most of their albums, the first song is is announcing the tone of the entire album. And with that, Jer, my number two is from Moving Pictures, Tom Sawyer. Oh, yeah. I was going to guess Tom Sawyer. Yeah. I mean, they pretty much introduced themselves to a whole, the whole world, really. Not just Rush fans. Yeah. I mean, Tom Sawyer announced their arrival onto the earth, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's hard to argue. Into the consciousness of most people. And that's the song that I heard first. That's my introduction to Rush. So that's mm-hmm. why I picked Tom Sawyer and they would not be nearly as huge as they are now without that song. So I think it's very important for the band and it's, it's gotta be in my top three. So there's Tom Sawyer, Jar. 
Nice. What's your number one? Well, I didn't pick Tom Sawyer number one, although I was going to. You know, before I started, I decided not to because I went with Anthem. Ah, Anthem, good one. Because it's the you know the first song on the the first album that Neil is on. Good point. And again, a completely different tack from the previous album. I guess that's what the theme here is that I I just like it when they when they shake things up. Yeah, it's a little different than Finding My Way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the the attack on the beginning of that song is unlike anything. If you had listened to, I guess, the first album and were waiting for their second album, and then you drop the needle on that, you just blow your head off right there. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So, Ed, what's your number one? If I had a drum roll, I'd, I'd give it. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, number one for me is 2112. Yeah, that's my favorite song. That's my favorite album. And that's kind of what introduced me to Rush. So that crazy spacey keyboard intro and and then they start off with overture which is you know an instrumental track essentially and uh who other than rush could get away with opening an album with an instrumental yeah it's just a very powerful song and you really hear neil on that i mean it's not his more most complex drum piece but it's really powerful so yeah 2112 ed you stole my number one did i that's mine 2112 I mean, I had to take a 20-minute song for the number one song. Yeah. <laughs> don't you think? And, and again, it's the same theme you're talking about, Jared. This is, it, it was just a turning point for the band. Tom Sawyer was a turning point. 2112 was a turning point. But the song still holds up after 40 years, which is amazing to me. Yeah, it's a one yeah. song I, I, can, I just love to listen to and can listen to over and over again. Yeah, I was listening to the live version from All the World of Stage the other day. And it's a crazy, crazy live song. Well, the amazing thing is, you know, I wrote down all 19 Rush opening tracks from all their albums, and they're all amazing. You really could have picked any of them. And who would argue? Yeah, there were a lot of good ones in there. Like One Little Victory was another one I thought about. Even Caravan. God, yeah, it's, you pretty much pick anyone. And Hemispheres. Yeah. Farewell to Kings. I mean, a lot of great songs. Well, this was fun, Ed. Thanks so much. We really appreciate it. The blog is Rush is a Band. It's rushesaband.com. And on Twitter, Ed is at Rush is a Band. And I noticed on your website, you have bumper stickers for a donation to the website. I do. So we should ask people to buy a, a Rush is a Band <laughs> bumper sticker for $3 and help you out. Sure. So go to rushesaband.com. Check out Ed's blog. Ed Stanger, thanks so much for joining us on the Rush Fancast. We really appreciate it. No problem. Love your guys' podcast, man. We love your blog. <laughs> All right, thanks. So, Jared, that was fun. Ed Stenger, Rushes a Band blog. Yeah, it was fun. That was a good idea to, uh, you know, come up with your favorite opening tracks. And you know what we have to do later on? We have to come up with our favorite ending tracks. So start thinking about that. Songs that end Rush albums. What are your favorites? Okay. I'll start jotting them down right now. So, Jared, speaking of the Rushes a Band blog, I saw something cool on the blog. Some news on the blog this week. Okay. The Pavilion at Lakeside Park has officially been renamed. What's the name? By unanimous vote, the Neil Peart Pavilion at Lakeside Park. Oh. Very cool. Yeah, that's a nice straightforward name. I like that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So apparently they polled residents that were allowed to send in their choices, and they narrowed it down to two. It was either Neil Peart Pavilion or Lakeside Park Pavilion. So I guess they kind of... Used both, Neil Peart Pavilion at Lakeside Park. Yeah, that's cool. 
Oh, it was only open to residents? I would guess it was probably just residents. You didn't get your ballot in the mail? It's their pavilion. Oh, yeah, definitely. So now they just have to decide whether there's going to be a statue, a plaque, how they're going to honor Neil that way. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. We'll keep everyone, uh, we'll keep everyone updated on that. Absolutely. And check out the Rushes of Band blog. Ed will keep you updated, too. That's true. Probably better than we can. Much better than we can. <laughs> so I guess it was about a month ago we did an episode called The Inboxer Rebellion. That was a long time ago. Was it a long time ago? It might have been yeah, episode was, 20-ish, something. It was in the 20s. Yeah, it was in the 20s. But people liked that episode. We, we tried to do it in Boxer Rebellion 2, but we had a lot of technical difficulties and we kind of scrapped it. Yep. But I have a piece of paper here with a bunch of corrections, things that we got wrong, Jar. Oh, boy. That I thought we should correct. Okay. Most of the things, don't feel bad, most of the things are things I did. I expected that. The first email I got was from <laughs> a guy named Ben. <laughs> I said Rush played 2112 in its entirety on the Hemispheres tour, when in fact they did not. They only played the whole song in its entirety on the Test for Echo tour. Oh, wow. Yeah. So when they played the song sort of in its entirety prior to that, they left out part five, Oracle the Dream. Oh, not Discovery? No, Oracle the Dream is what they left out. Unless I'm wrong again, in which oh boy. Ben will email me yeah. again. <laughs> correction on correction. But, th- but thanks for that, Ben. And I did get it incorrect. So another correction we have, Jer. A couple of weeks ago, we pointed out that Madrigal mentioned dragons. And I said that that was the only Rush song that mentioned a dragon. Okay. And then we had to correct that because different strings also mentions a dragon. Okay. So we got an email from Daniel Trum who pointed out there's a third Rush song that mentions a dragon. Do you know what it is? Um, no. Countdown. Oh, that would make sense that I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you don't like Countdown. I don't really like Countdown, yeah. So, But the line is, venting vapors like the breath of a sleeping white dragon. There you go. And it just completely slipped my mind, and there it is, a third song with dragon in it. And I'm not going to say that there's no <laughs> other Rush song with dragon in the, in the words. I bet you somewhere on Clockwork Angels there's a dragon reference. Somewhere, somewhere. So by the way, did you see the SpaceX launch the other day? Speaking of Countdown? I missed it. It was very cool. Yeah, I mean, I watched it afterwards, but I missed it live. The interesting thing about it is the name of the astronauts were Bob and Doug. <laughs> I know. And the whole time I'm watching this thing, they're talking about Bob and Doug, Bob and Doug. I'm thinking Bob and Doug McKenzie. Right. Take off. Take off, you hosers. Right. Getty was on that album, you know. He, he was. was. On that song. Yeah. He was. It was great. Ten bucks is ten bucks. Ten bucks is ten bucks, man. <laughs> but I'm thinking, take off, you hosers. And they did. I know. It was so funny when I heard it, too. <laughs> Good day, eh? I love that movie. Oh, the movie's great. Yeah. Movie's very cool. Another email from Chris Springer. I said the Hemispheres chord was heard on Headlong Flight. Remember we're talking about the Hemispheres chord? Yes, of course. But I was incorrect about that, too. It's actually Far Cry. Yes. That's I didn't want to correct you chord. mid-episode. You should have. No, it's okay. I've... You can always correct me mid-episode. Okay, next time. So I was confused. It's the Bastille Day riff that's on Headlong Flight. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that is true. So here's a mistake you made. Oh, boy. You were talking. Well, I, this is not an email from anyone. This is me pointing out your mistake. Oh, God. You said you had honeydew growing in your backyard. 
Oh, that's right. When we were talking about A Farewell to Kings and Xanadu. Yes. What's the true story? It was Honeysuckle. There you go. Totally different thing. So you have not dined on Honeydew. Uh, unless we're talking about the melon. <laughs> I think we, we might be. But, you know, I think also I looked it up after that episode. I really should have looked it up before the episode. That would have been smart. Um, honeydew is also the name for some kind of weird excretion that aphids leave on plants while they're eating. Oh, man. So. So would you dine on that? I don't know if you would dine. I mean, if you were a mad, immortal man, perhaps. <laughs> I don't know. Just, just the word aphid doesn't sound appetizing to me. I don't know. I don't know why. Well, aphid excretions don't sound appetizing? They do not. Another mistake you made, Jared. This is another mm. mistake that, that I pointed out. You called Mr. Deed Goes to Town, Mr. Deeds Goes to Washington. So yes. Mr. Mr. Deeds Goes to Town is the movie that Cinderella Man was based on. Yes. You called it Mr. Deeds Goes to Washington. Right. It was Mr. Smith that went to Washington. Mr. Yes. Deeds Goes to Town. <laughs> yeah. Washington is a town, but not the same town. Right. Gary Cooper played Mr. Deeds and Jimmy Stewart. Oh, good old Jimmy Stewart. Yes. He's Mr. Smith. He is. So get it right. Mr. Smith Goes to Washington is, is a really good movie. I have not seen either movie. Oh, I think it's a Frank Capra movie. Watch. I just got that wrong, right? <laughs> more corrections. <laughs> it just gives us more to talk about, Jerry, when we make mistakes. That's true. So... Fittingly, the last correction came from Andy Courtright, who wow. gave us the book. Okay. You said that Tempest Fugit was on Tormato. Remember we were talking about, on feedback, we were talking about Yes songs that Rush oh, yes, might have played yes. on feedback. You yep. said Tempest Fugit was on Tormato, but it was actually on drama. Oh, yeah, drama. And he also pointed out that you said Tormato sucks, but Andy says it's great. It's not. <laughs> you know, when he gave us the book, Jar, and you can't oh, yeah, agree okay. with him. It, yeah, I changed. Okay, let's re-edit that. Yeah, I did. I, I listened to it again. Tormato was great. <laughs> Does that sound convincing? See what kind of sway you have, Andy. Speaking of that, now it's time, Jar. Drum roll. It's time to give away the book. Getty Lee's Big Beautiful Book of Bass. Yes, and we had about 50 more people enter. Oh, nice. Sent us our sent us their email addresses and we have a winner. Do you, you're ready to hear the winner? I'm ready to hear him. Okay. Our winner is Jonathan Flax. Nice. Jonathan Flax. Congrats Flax. Yeah. And you know what uh, is interesting about Mr. Flax? What's that? He, he sent me an email saying that he was our 2112 follower on Twitter. Really? Yeah. Well, that's great. Congrats, Jonathan. Well, I hope you enjoy the book. I enjoyed the book. It's, it's beautiful. It is a big, beautiful book of bass. It is. It really is. It really is. We should talk about the book one day on the podcast. That'd be cool. Yeah, it'd be great if we can get Getty on, talk about the book. I'll work on that. Yeah, you should. We'll work Just start on Start a letter writing campaign. Getty, if you're listening, <laughs> He's not listening. shoot us an email. <laughs> <laughs> We'd love to have you on to do the book. <laughs> Listen, I'm going to correct you right there. He's not listening. <laughs> what if Getty emails you and says, Jerry, I'm ready to do the interview on the big, beautiful book of base. When would you like to schedule it? Then I'll eat my hat. <laughs> All right. You can follow us on Twitter at rush Fancast, Instagram, the rush cast email, Jerry. He loves your emails. The rush cast at gmail.com. 
And Jer, you know what time it is. It's time. It's time for your quote. Yes. <laughs> Steve, can you actually Are you serious? <laughs> you really don't have one? This is episode 41. Episode 41. And this- we were just talking the other day. Yeah. Uh, forget it. <laughs> Let's fire up one of Lex's bass lines while Jerry looks for a quote. Okay, Steve, I have a quote. Since we were talking about 2112 and the fact that they didn't play Oracle to Dream. Yes. It's a quote from that. How about that? Okay. They left the planet long ago. The elder race still learn and grow. Their power grows with purpose strong to claim the home where they belong. Home to tear the temples down. Home to change. Very nice. Beautiful, right? Yep. Take it easy. Bye. Bye.